You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Scams are one of the most dangerous threats today, especially when it comes to our elders. As the number of victims and money taken continues to skyrocket, realize that there is hope. ScammerCast is your frontline battlefield for getting educated on the most recent scams, but also how to defend against them. Join us as we detail the processes, the traps, and the solutions to help us all hammer the scammers. Hammer the scammers. It's time for the ScammerCast. Here are your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines. Hi, everyone. This is Curtis Bailey, an elder law attorney and your co-host on ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Mange, your co-host for ScammerCast.com. I'm also the author of Scam, Three Steps to Help Your Elder Parents and Yourself. Good morning. It's Marty Gurley. I am the manager of the St. Louis office of Midwest Trust, and I'm a guest host today. So today we're talking about taxes. What a pleasant subject. Mm. That awful quote about there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes. That's so true, Art, but there, there is a value to paying income taxes, right, Marty? There definitely is. It's something that nobody wants to do, but there truly is a value. Even if you don't owe, even if you're not required to file a tax return, it's really important that you do, not just to make sure you have it on file to reduce identity theft, but also you just never know. You never know when you actually owe. And if you owe, then your monthly benefits could actually be reduced based on the amount that you owe. You might even get something back. Well, that's right. You that's know, a good it's, point. that's a very good it's, point. It's not always bad news. It's not always that you owe, 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 but there there are times when uh, you do get money back. Absolutely. And you made a good point there, Marty, when you said that it's important to file a return even if you don't have income that qualifies or that makes you required to pay taxes. I was talking to a gentleman just the other day who is a certified tax preparer, and he said. They tell people all the time, even if you don't have sufficient income to require that you pay taxes, it's important to file a return anyway, even just listing $1 as your income, because that beats the scammers and prevents identity thieves from filing something on your account that's fraudulent. Well, that's right. And and you know, we're, we're not here to give tax advice, uh, and, but we are here to tell you it is important that you comply with the law. File the tax return if you need to file a tax return. And oftentimes, Art, as you've just pointed out, uh, it, it will be to your benefit to go ahead and file a tax return, even if you don't have any income to report. That's right. And in terms of taxes as well, nobody likes to pay them, but it is the way that we as a nation have come together to solve problems. We pool our funds, and we can have debates to the end of time about how we spend the tax money. That's exactly right. But the idea of pooling money together to solve common problems, I think is a good one, and it makes sense, even as much as we don't like to admit it. That's right. So ladies and gentlemen, please don't take anything that we say as advice not to file a tax return. Is that right? Yeah, so we want to keep you informed and let you know about what we're calling two terrible tax tragedies, how the scammers are out to rip you off through having to pay your taxes. That's right, Art. And there are two terrible tax tragedies that we're going to delve into today. One is the issue of tax identity theft. Right. And then the other is the imposter agent. We get uh, revisited by our favorite friend, Steve Martin. Oh, good old Steve is back again. That's terrific. 
Yes, in fact, uh, Steve called me uh, the other day five times. You must be popular. Yeah, I think that uh, I must have a, a, a fraudulent tax return out there or something, or I have the mark. Maybe, maybe yeah, that's did it. they do? Did they rename you Mark? <laughs> I think it? they have. I think they have. Anyway, uh, the the numbers uh, are staggering. Uh, the IRS estimates that in 2013, it paid 5.2 billion dollars in money to scammers from filing fraudulent tax that's returns. That's billion with a B. That is billion with a B. Wow. Wow, maybe we're in the wrong business. It's a staggering number, isn't it? And also then on the imposter agent issue with Steve Martin, the FTC has reported over 54,000 complaints filed because of people being contacted by this imposter agent. We're going to dive into that later in this episode. Yeah, that's great because that, that's a huge number. And uh, it certainly has affected several people that I know. Thankfully, no one I know has actually gotten caught up in it, but the phone calls are sure annoying. Right. How about you, Marty? Have you ever run across this lately in, in some of your stuff? As far as the imposters, yes. I think they're out there a lot. I hear from clients a lot of times. The interesting thing is if you have an IRS agent calling you during tax season, it's probably not an IRS agent. <laughs> they're really too busy to be calling you at this time. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Sponsored by Midwest Trust Company. Well, let's dive in and let's start with the issue of identity theft. How does identity theft play into the IRS? Well, the, uh, tax identity theft is when a scammer files a fraudulent tax return using another person's social security number and then receives the refund electronically. And it's not necessarily the real refund because the scammers will trump up a lot of extra deductions and, and ways to really run that refund up. Sure. And the victim usually doesn't know they've been a target until they file their own tax return, and then the IRS tells them that the return has already been filed. Oops, big ugly surprise. Yes, it is a big ugly surprise, and uh, I can tell you from a personal standpoint that uh, my wife and I had this very situation occur to us last year. I remember you talked yeah. about that. Yeah, tell us so more we, about that. So we, you know, we visited our normal tax preparer who we've been going to for years and years, and submitted the information and our tax preparer uh, submitted the return online and about a week later uh, I received a telephone call from my tax preparer saying that uh, the IRS had flagged our return as being fraudulent, that it had already been submitted and a refund had been paid. Ooh, that's a surprise. Yes, it was a big surprise. We had obviously not submitted our return up until the uh, until the one that we submitted through our tax preparer. So it was quite a shock, quite a surprise, and uh, we had to submit a fraud affidavit, which we'll talk about here as we go along. And it slowed everything down. It slowed the entire process of getting a refund or having our review or having our return reviewed completely slowed it down. And we had no clue. We had no idea. That's got to be so frustrating. So you're saying the first time you ever knew that this happened was from your accountant. Absolutely. He got the notification. Right. Yeah. I had no clue. And since the tax preparer had signed on as being the uh, responsible party for the return, he, he got the first notification from the IRS. And how did it happen? Well, we don't know. We have no idea. What we have discovered is that my wife's social security number was compromised in some fashion. We have no clue. Uh, how it occurred. And then the uh, scammer filed the return using her social security number. And so obviously then when my wife and I, we filed jointly, when we filed our return, it was flagged because it had already gone through the system. You know, there's a, a lot of stories now coming out about how social security numbers are available for sale on the dark internet. Uh, I've read that 
a good social security number will go for 50 bucks to scammers on the dark internet. No kidding. Which seems like a shockingly low amount of money, but that's what I hear. What well, I, I, guess, I guess if there's a, a volume market, yeah, you know, that's somebody's right. making a lot of money off of that. Right. And what I have, have read also is that uh, a lot of times it's insiders, people who work inside of a medical office or uh, and even government agencies where they get a hold of Social Security numbers and then somebody has hooked up with them and, and they sell them to the, the crooks and then they sell them in turn online somewhere. So it, it, there's a whole underground right. industry apparently in trafficking in people's Social Security numbers. Right. Well, I know we're going to talk in a future episode about medical identity theft we because will. that's such a hot topic these days. But that's just another avenue for the scammers to get a hold of your personal identifying information and then they can use it to dummy up a tax return. And obviously, uh, getting a share of $5.2 billion, there's, there's plenty of money there, huh? Yeah, this is lucrative stuff and there's a lot of money to be made. And the sad thing is that it affects a lot of good people and makes life much more complicated. And with seniors in particular, it can be very stressful for them to a point that it can affect their health. Right, right. So Marty, do you have any tips for the listeners on how they might be able to prevent this and protect themselves? You know, I don't know if there's any way to prevent it. It seems like the people that are doing this are always two steps ahead of everybody, but there are certainly safeguards that you can go through. And one of the big things, one of the ways in my industry, we deal with a lot of financial information for clients and personal information for clients. And so anytime you're actually sending information, either through an email, you have to make sure that that's secure. You can't just send it directly to the email. In, in my practice, what we do, we will actually set up a portal where the client has to create a password and sign in to actually get the information. And that's how we interact with the clients, but that's also how we interact with our tax preparers, our accountants that we work with. We do have a portal where we dump the client information so that it is secure. Right. Those are situations where I think clients and everybody should ask their professionals, how are you handling my sensitive information? I know we all get... That's good advice. Yeah. I know we all get frustrated when you log into your bank account and it's time to change your password. <laughs> right. No, How many times do we have to do that every year? Right. And so I typically have to do it more than most because I forget my password because I have to change it so much. <laughs> Wait a minute. I resemble that. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is a protection. They're doing it to, to actually protect the consumer, to protect their clients. So even though it may seem to be a headache, it really is helping to protect your financial information. Yeah. You know, having a strong password is, I think, one of the keystones, if you will, of protecting your personal information in an online environment, isn't it's, it? Art? It's absolutely essential. And I've been reading some interesting stuff lately because I'm always looking at, at something online. I get regular alerts daily, in fact, about these subjects. And, and one security expert has recently recommended that people use a security phrase rather than just a, a password. So, for example, uh, just to make something up, somebody could use, Mary had a little lamb with all the spaces in there. And it's more secure actually because there's more characters and you could vary it maybe by making the first letter of each word a capital. You could add a special character in there somewhere. So I thought that was an interesting idea and one that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because I never thought of that. I sure. think it was kind of clever. Sure. You know, and I, I think all of us, because we do have so many online accounts and, and we 
don't want to take the time to create a different password for each one. So we fall into this horrible pattern of using the same password for every every account, right? Just about everybody I talk to does that. And I used to do that myself. I will admit my guilt. Uh, I have since changed my ways because some of the stories out there are so frightening of a hacker getting a hold of your username and password for one thing, one account or whatever, and then if you use the same password, they'll go to a separate one and try it there and go to a third, fourth, fifth, and before you know it, you can be in a heap of trouble because you just use the same old password because you're trying to remember it. Right, right. You know, and I just came across, uh, I think it's, uh, I can't remember who publishes it, but publishes a, an annual list of the most common passwords that are used. Oh, yeah. Does anybody have, a, Marty, have a guess as to what the most common password is? No, I don't have any idea. Art, how I'm going to guess the most common password is password. That's number two on the list. <laughs> the second most common. But the most common password is one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, come on. Oh, my goodness. So, come on. The, the moral of the story is don't use one, two, three, four, five, six, or don't use password. Right? Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. None of that. You know, there are also now a number of tools out there that will allow you to centralize a password or create a unique password. And we're going to have uh, a number of links to those things on our website, scammercast.com. Will it also keep the passwords so you don't have to remember every yes. one of them? So basically, I use one password, and we'll put a link to that on the website. And essentially, you have a master password so that you do have to remember that, but then it stores all of your passwords for everything else. Art, are there any tools that, that you use in, in this regard? Right. I've been looking at one called LastPass. I heard that recently on a different podcast, so I'm checking that one out right now just to see what okay. I think about that because it has to be user-friendly for me. I don't want something where I need a computer science degree to use this. I want something <laughs> right. that I can easily use but is secure, so that's kind of my litmus test for how this has to work. Very good. So, Art, what, uh, I know that there are a number of steps that people need to take if they find themselves a victim to tax identity theft. There are. Where would you are. start? Where would you tell somebody to start? Well, first of all, the person probably won't know that they're the victim of tax identity theft until they get a nasty gram from the IRS saying, somebody's already filed your taxes. Right. And so that will likely come in the mail from the IRS saying that more than one tax return was filed using your social security number. And there's an important piece of information in there. Keep in mind that the IRS does not communicate with people initially via email, text message, or social media message. Everything is done through the U.S. Postal Service. So if it hasn't come in the mail, it's probably a scam. Okay. You want to watch out for that. And another way it could show up is a notice again in the mail saying that the person was paid by an employer they don't know or recognize. So, for example, if I got a notice that said I worked for Boeing Corporation, well, I've never worked for Boeing in my life. Clearly, there'd be some sort of a problem. Right, right. And also, as far as prevention goes, as I, I can't say it enough, the IRS does not start contact with a taxpayer by sending an email, text, or social media message, especially one asking for personal or financial information. And remember, in our other show where we talked about the 10 plus 1 dead giveaways for a scam, this is the top of the list. Right. Anyone asking for your personal or financial information is a dead giveaway for a scam. Now, Art, uh, I suppose that also would include any 
type of telephone contact. Absolutely, yes. There can be no telephone contact like our good old friend Steve Martin. Right. I mean, he, he revealed himself to be a scammer. He did, and we're going to hear from him later. Oh, good. Yes. Steve's going to make a return he appearance. He is back. That's great. That's great. Now, if you do get an email claiming to be from the IRS, keep in mind that they can be very convincing. They, they look extremely good. The, the scammers are really good at spoofing the official IRS logos and colors and things. If you do get an email like that, don't reply or click on any links in the email. What you do is you forward it to phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, at irs.gov. And we'll put a link uh, to that uh, address on the website as well. Right, we sure will. And so in case anyone out there listening uh, believes that they've become a victim of tax identity theft or thinks they, they might or someone that's close to them could be a victim of tax identity theft, there's a special number for them to call. This is the uh, special identity theft unit in the IRS. That number is 1-800-908-4490. And we'll have a link to that on our uh, page for ScammerCast also. Art and Marty, we've, uh, we've given the audience a lot of information today. There are a couple more links that I do want to point out for people that we will put on the website. The IRS has two very good taxpayer guides. Yeah, I've looked at those. Those are really good. Yeah, one is, uh, is titled The Taxpayer Guide to Identity Theft, and it contains all of the information that we have discussed already. We'll put a link to that on scammercast.com. The other guide that we haven't talked that much about today, but is, I think, an important one, is how do you choose a tax preparer to go to? And how do you develop a relationship with a good tax preparer? Because having a good one is probably the first line of defense, if you will, uh, to identity theft. Uh, and the IRS has a wonderful taxpayer guide for that as well. That is IRS Tax Tip 2015 07. It's called the 10 IRS Tips to Help You Choose a Tax Preparer, and we'll put a link to that on the website. Sounds great. It's time to take a break during this episode of the ScammerCast. Have you liked our effort on Facebook? Visit the link via our website at ScammerCast.com, and be sure to share any of our informative articles with your friends and family. It's all about education and protecting our seniors. We'll be right back. A recent study found that most older adults fear running out of money during their retirement years, even more than their fear of death. A trust can be an effective way to manage and protect your assets while you're alive. Now, many folks believe that trusts are only for rich people. They are not. Midwest Trust Company of Missouri, located in Clayton, Missouri, offers professional trust management for clients all across the country. Using Midwest Trust is a great way to know that someone with experience and integrity will manage your wealth objectively. Naming Midwest Trust can provide you with peace of mind in knowing that you or your parents will not be exploited financially and lose all of the assets acquired during a lifetime of hard work. Midwest Trust will even work with you or your parents' own financial advisor. Don't let fear of running out of money drive your life. Contact Midwest Trust Company today by visiting the link to their website at scammercast.com. The discipline to grow. The strength of experience. The ability to adapt. Values that endure. Midwest Trust. Faith. 
It has a number of definitions, flavors, and meanings to everyone. But what does it mean to you? Share what direction, goals, and experiences you've found with your faith via A Call to Courage with Stephanie Haynes. CouragePodcast.com. That's CouragePodcast.com. Mustangs, Camaros, F-150s, Silverados, and Batmobiles. Oh my. Cars aren't just for transportation. They transport us, like time machines, to times in our lives and to the jobs, games, and places that we all call life. Check out twoguystalkingcars.com and experience the stories and details about the cars, trucks, and vehicles inside television and feature films. Get your motor running with twoguystalkingcars.com. That's twoguystalkingcars.com. Welcome back to ScammerCast, your headquarters for the education and prevention of scams against our elders. Let's dig back in with your hosts, Curtis Bailey and Art Maines. We're back from break. Welcome back. This is Curtis Bailey, your co-host on ScammerCast.com. And this is Art Mains, your other co-host on ScammerCast.com. And we are joined today by... Marty Gurley as guest host. And we are delighted to have you with us today, Marty. Thank you. We are jumping back into the second of our two terrible tax tragedies. The imposter scam. Exactly. And this one is our old friend Steve Martin. Because I am a wild and crazy guy! We played him in another of our podcasts, and Curtis, do you have that recording handy? Well, guess what? Mr. Martin has called me five times in the last two weeks. Oh, boy, he's really after you. You must be popular. Uh, yes, I think so. And so uh, we introduced Mr. Martin several episodes back, but let's play Mr. Martin again just to refresh everybody's memory. Hi, my name is Steve Martin, and I'm calling you in regards to an enforcement action. Well, it's a second offense, Curtis. You're in big trouble here. I think I'm up to about the tenth offense. Oh, all right. Well, you you, you scoff law. You're just not paying attention to see it's, in, it's interesting. They said they didn't use the IRS. They used the U.S. Treasury, right? Which is kind of interesting. Also, it was very threatening. I can't I imagine that an IRS agent would actually be as threatening. I think Mr. Martin must be lonely or something. He left his phone number. We all should call him. <laughs> yeah, I encourage everybody to give him a call and send him some love. Just remember, he's a scammer. And one thing I wanted to pick up on is in our other podcast episode, we talked about the five flags, the emotions that scammers use to rip people off. Well, this is a classic example of fear working on people. That's right. Absolutely, it is. And... I just want everybody to know that uh, if you've received a call from Steve Martin, let us know on our uh, website, scammercast.com, and also Please post do. the phone number. I've got three different phone numbers that Mr. Martin has called me from, 559-479-5570, 646-396-1471, 
and 585-364-6573. Does anybody have any other phone numbers out there that Steve Martin has called from? If so, post them on our website, and we'll pass the word. And remember, everybody, that you can look up these phone numbers online. Just put it into a search engine like Google or Bing, and it'll come right up. Oh, that's a scam phone number. So that's one way that you can check out whether a phone call is legitimate or not. But remember, the IRS doesn't call you about your taxes, nor does the Treasury Department, as Mr. Martin might suggest. <laughs> Great advice, Art. Marty, do you have any stories about uh, an imposter agent? I don't have an imposter agent story, but I do have a situation where a tax preparer actually absconded with some money that was meant to be sent to the IRS. So it, it's a personal story um, with my husband's business, and he pays quarterly sales tax. And it appears about six quarters that his preparer actually took the money for oh those six quarters. And it took that long for the IRS to figure out it hadn't been paid and for him to get notified. Oh, my. So he had signed the returns, thought everything had been done. The money had been taken out of his account. And I guess the moral to the story is he's not only a victim of that, along with several of other businesses. He's not just a victim of that, but he's also having to pay again. So it was taken out, and his tax repair took the money, but it's still owed to the IRS. So well, that's really a bite, isn't it? So, so he paid the money. Yes. And he thought that it, the money would be submitted. Yes. And, and it wasn't. And it wasn't. So he had six quarters of sales tax for his business that he has to now come up with again for the IRS. So the bottom line really is you still owe it. You're still the tax. Right. It's yours. You're the citizen. It is your tax debt and your tax burden. And you have to pay it no matter if you are a victim. Right. Right. Or not. Well, I think the important takeaway, at least in my mind, is that you can't ignore it. The obligation is yours, and uh, the IRS will expect to be paid. Now, uh, we have some examples, I think, of people that have been caught up in in tax scams or just tax problems in general with the IRS, and they're usually willing to work with the taxpayer. They really are. Yes, the IRS has come a long way in the last few years in their willingness to work with people. They still want their money. Don't don't make the mistaken assumption that somehow you're going to get out of paying your taxes. Right. You still have to pay your taxes. But the IRS has been far more willing to work with taxpayers in recent years, working out payment plans. I mean, this has come up in, in my clinical practice as well. These sorts of things, as you can imagine, are stressful for people. And financial issues are a major source of stress. So if somebody hasn't filed tax returns in the last few years, maybe because they're depressed – then they've been able to work out reasonable payment plans with the IRS. Now, the emphasis there is on reasonable. It's not always comfortable, but it's reasonable. The IRS isn't coming and stealing their house or putting them on the streets or anything like that. But but they do have to make a monthly payment, and you've got to keep up with those payments or you're in violation of the agreement. You know, in negotiating with the IRS, what I have found is – that you just don't ignore it. If you don't ignore it, very important. And then you're persistent. There have been several situations where my clients actually, I believe, have been charged some things by the IRS, and I've asked for interest and penalties to be waived. Typically, they will waive penalties. Um, interest is a little bit harder, right. but again, if you're persistent, a lot of times they will even work with you for that. Oh, that's good advice. That's very good advice. So, Marty, what professionals would you recommend to people who may be caught in the same kind of situation, or maybe they've fallen victim to an imposter scam? Who should they reach out to to help them? 
You know, I think there's a number of people they can reach out to. I think the website that you actually gave them, they need to do some research on their own to really figure out what it is. But I think finding a CPA that really specializes in, in working with the IRS and things is a really good place to start as well if they don't want to do everything on their own. Right, right. And, and also a designation that people should keep in mind is look for somebody who is an enrolled agent. That's enrolled, E-N-R-O-L-L-E-D. These these folks are people that have passed all the certifications necessary to practice in front of the IRS and to be in front of tax court. And so these folks have a wealth of information and a wealth of experience in dealing with the IRS, and they'll know exactly what is negotiable and what isn't negotiable. And I think this may or may not be the same person that prepares your taxes. I think some preparers can do this and are enrolled, and I think others aren't. So you need to ask that specific question. That's right. Uh, They are different designations. Uh, And so, for instance, my tax preparer is also an enrolled agent. But I work with people in, in the local community that are just enrolled agents and are not CPAs and may not even prepare taxes. We have a resource. It's a an ex-IRS agent that has helped us with with it. And he's not a CPA. He doesn't prepare taxes. He just deals with these things. That would be a good person to have on your team. Yeah, I think good. one of the takeaways that I'm hearing from this is if you're having a problem with the IRS, whether because of a scam or identity theft or what, that you don't go it alone, that you try to find somebody like an enrolled agent or an ex-IRS officer or somebody like this who can help you out with this because it can be complicated and costly if you make a mistake. I think that's right. You know, uh, an, an ounce of prevention is always worth or better than a pound of cure. But don't don't try to uh, create the cure on your own. There are people who have far greater experience than you do in working with the IRS and knowing who to talk to, which may be more important than knowing what to say to the IRS. Very likely. And remember that we're not in the business of giving tax advice here at ScammerCast.com. We want to encourage anyone who's listening to seek out their own tax professional for advice for their particular situation. Art, that's great advice. And if anybody out there has a question or needs a referral to an enrolled agent or somebody to help them with a tax situation, feel free to message us through our website at scammercast.com. And any one of us have uh, folks that we work with on a regular basis that we would be happy to connect you with. Definitely. The guy that I work with is an enrolled agent, and he lives several states away, and he does a great job with my stuff. Right. Very good. Let's come back to our friend Steve Martin, the imposter agent from Treasury Department. And, uh, you know, this telephone contact sort of encapsulates the the dead giveaways of any scam, but particularly here, it's a telephone call putting immense pressure on you, right, Art? That's exactly right, yes. They're putting the pressure and intimidation and fear factor into the phone call, getting your attention with, this is somebody from the Treasury Department, it's your second offense, you could be subject to going before, I think he said, a magistrate judge, which is sort of double talk. You know, or a grand jury. Or, or a grand jury, <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. And, and that's going to get anybody's attention and make them worried. And that's the emotional basis for this scam. This is the imposter scam. It's the second of our terrible tax tragedies. So what happens is a scammer like Steve Martin will call pretending to be from the Treasury Department or the IRS, some sort of government agency. And then they'll tell the victim that they owe taxes or there's some sort of legal problem that they face. They're going to demand immediate payment over the phone in a classic tax imposter scam. 
and then they're going to they're going to threaten arrest for non-payment. And of course, they make it very easy for you to take care of it. All you have to do is give them your credit card number or your debit card number, and that sets you up for a world of problems as well. And I want to note that the scammers are getting even more convincing and trying to borrow credibility by giving an IRS badge number or an IRS employee number, sometimes even a case number, and it just makes them sound that much more credible. But as we mentioned earlier in the segment about tax identity theft in general, remember that the IRS does not call people without first sending a bill via U.S. mail. And remember also that if you do owe taxes, you have a right to request a copy of the bill and talk about payment options with the IRS agent. So remember, never talk to someone who calls and says they're from the IRS. Instead, call the IRS directly at 1-800-829-1040 to see if you really owe the taxes. Right. You know, that's interesting. Maybe I should call Mr. Martin back and ask him for his badge number. What do you think, Marty? Well, let's try it. <laughs> well, he didn't say he was an IRS agent. No, he you're right. He from didn't. The US right, right. Well, I'm sure he can make something up over the phone. Must be a janitor at the <laughs> Treasury Department. Anyway, let's finish up here because it's such an important point that people, I think, overlook. They, they, they recognize it, they understand it, but they overlook it. And that's the emotional basis. Remember, in our previous episode, the five flags, the very first flag uh, of an emotional hook that a scammer uses is fear. That's right? exactly right. It's, it's a very potent one because, as we said before, emotions have primacy. They get us moving in a direction which is designed, ideally, to keep us safe. But in this case, the scammers are using deception and fear wrapped up around it to get you to do something that is against your best interests because they're trafficking also in how people may not be informed right. and that's why we're here with ScammerCast informing people about what's really going on and how to prevent these scams from affecting you and the people you love. Right, very good. So on the prevention side, uh, Marty, is there anything else that that you would advise the, uh, the audience to consider? How to protect themselves from the evil imposter. From the imposter. You know, it's interesting because you can't prevent yourself from getting on the list for them right. to call you. So really it's how do I avoid becoming that victim is what you're doing. And so I think all of the advice is really good. You know, you can also say things to them like, send me a letter. Send me something in writing so I can give it to my attorney. You know, don't just do it because you're scared. Make sure that you're talking to your trusted advisors and the people that you trust about it before you do anything. And that's the third R that we talk about in our three R's of scam prevention. Num number three is reach out to check it out. Right. So that you don't just get led along by the nose because a scammer tells you something is true. You keep your critical thinking, what I call your scam detector, online. And then you ask them, send me something in, in the mail. One of the best strategies for shutting down a scam when you're not sure it's a scam is to ask questions to take it off script, if you will, and say, send me something in the mail. Give me a case number or an incident number. Now, they could make something up, but it throws them off That's because right. they expect you to go along with their evil scheme. So if you ask questions, if you're a difficult target, they're much more likely to just hang up the phone and leave you alone. Because they want to move on to the, the easy mark, right? An easier mark. Right. Exactly right.
So we have covered a couple of our terrible tax tragedies here today. We hope we've given you a lot of information that will help you hammer the scammers and avoid getting ripped off. And we want to direct you to our website at scammercast.com, and we encourage you to fill out the form on the right side. Let us know what tax scams you might have encountered or how you dealt with them. Tell us your stories so that we can share the best of your ideas with other listeners around the country, and then you can be a part of the solution. This is Curtis Bailey, one of your co-hosts of ScammerCast.com. Remember, never let yourself be chosen. Always do the choosing. And this is Art Mange, your co-host for ScammerCast.com. Keep yourself informed, help your elders, and hammer the scammers. And Marty Gurley, the guest co-host of ScammerCast.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ScammerCast, your headquarters for education and protection of our elderly from scams worldwide. Be sure to visit us at ScammerCast.com, where you can send us your stories and tips, as well as send us your feedback, visit our Facebook presence, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, Hammer the Scammers. The information we share in this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only and should never substitute for appropriate legal, financial, or medical advice from qualified professionals. Always consult with an attorney, physician, or financial professional for the correct advice for your particular situation.